The following audio is from Cornerstone Church in Prescott, Arizona. For more information, visit us online at www.prescottcornerstone.com. I want to talk with you today about the power that you have in this room. The power that you have in Christ and in his body. In the reality that that around you right now are brothers and sisters who are called by God to help you in your walk with Christ. That you're not, you're not a lone ranger in this thing. I was watching this documentary yesterday with Jack and Zoe. I hope I didn't traumatize them. But uh, killer whales just fascinate me. And uh, there was this National Geographic documentary. If you have Netflix, it's on there. It's really cool. And uh, as you've probably heard, in the ocean, there's an apex predator, the top predator, and that is the great white shark. I mean, nothing messes with a great white shark, right? They've got these huge teeth, this gigantic mouth. Well, just recently, marine biologists, which isn't it surprising there aren't more, because doesn't every little girl want to grow up to be a marine biologist? Have you guys ever encountered that trend? I don't know why there aren't millions of marine biologists, but anyhow, the few that there are recently discovered that there's only one animal who can take down a great white shark. And I already stole my thunder and told you what it was, but let me tell you how this happens, okay? If you had a one-on-one competition, fight to the death, ultimate fighting championship between a great white shark and an orca, a killer whale, the great white shark would win. It's got bigger teeth. It's just, it's, I mean, it is a killing machine. So how does the killer whale eat and defeat a great white shark? Well, it's through collaboration. It's through teamwork. In fact, this is part of how orcas or killer whales hunt all their prey. They work together in teams. And together as a team, they can do what one of them could never do alone. So, so a team of them will get together and they'll keep chasing this great white shark until it gets worn out. Uh, and then a couple of them will pin it and they'll do this thing where they turn it over. And once they flip it over, it kind of just essentially suffocates to death. Uh, and I won't, I won't get detailed beyond that. Because I've already traumatized my own kids. I don't want to traumatize you guys too. But what a picture of teamwork, right? Uh, you know, what, what one animal couldn't do alone, they can do together. We see this all throughout nature, from, from bees to even monarch butterflies. Uh, God has designed his creation to work in harmony, to do things together that, that we can't do alone. That's what marriage, a healthy marriage, is supposed to, to, to be another picture of that. We can do together what we could never do alone. And the body of Christ, for all of us, single, married, no matter our age, our stage of life, our income, none of that matters in the church. In the book of Colossians, it says, here there isn't Greek or Jew barbarian, Scythian, slaver, free. Here, all the classifications and divisions that the world tells us, those all go away if we've trusted in Christ. We are the body of Christ. And together, we have a, a, a power that we, we cannot have on our own. And this is hard for us because as Americans, you know, the church throughout world history tends to take on its host culture's values. And our host culture's value is what? Independence. We, we wake up in our own house, we take care of ourselves. we pull out of our garage, we drive to our job or our grocery store. We are an 
very, very independent culture. And technology has made us more independent than we ever could have been in the past. I mean, even industrial technology, you know, that you can just wake up, pour a bowl of cereal. It didn't used to be that way. You used to need neighbors and you used to need help. And so we live in this really independent society. And more and more, our churches in America are conforming to that, where we can come, we just drop in, we leave. We're not really a part of anything bigger than ourselves. And you know what? That's better than nothing, okay? But if that's all you're doing, you are really, really missing out. You're missing out on the way that God describes the church, and you're missing out on the power that comes when you work together with your brothers and sisters in Christ. I'm going to tell you guys um, one more really humiliating story here, and then we're going to get into God's word. Uh, in fact, why don't, why don't we make our first big point so I feel like we're making some progress. Significant rebuilding never happens alone or by accident, okay? Significant rebuilding, where things are broken down in your life, it's not going to happen alone, and it's not going to happen by accident. It's got to be intentional, and you've got to be part of a team that's helping you rebuild. Now, in case you've forgotten that there are areas of your life that are broken down, I want to remind you that we live in a world where things naturally deteriorate. Things naturally break down because of the fall, because of sin. And I was recently reminded of this in a very, very tragic way. As many of you know, if you gather here regularly, I have a a deep passion about Toyota Land Cruisers. And, uh, and part of this is that the Toyota Land Cruiser is built to last. And I love things that are reliable. A lot of cars nowadays are disposable. You know, the, the, the people who build them know after five, seven years, most Americans are going to trade them in. So they just build them to last that long. The Toyota Land Cruiser is different, okay? It is built. The same Toyota Land Cruiser that you get in America is also in Africa and in Australia. It is built to go 400,000 miles. So my 95 has 230,000 miles on it. I've never had a problem with it. I just love it. It's a beast. I mean, it's ugly, it's slow, but it just is so reliable, okay? So recently, Mel's car, not a Toyota, was having some issues. And so we knew we needed to get her uh, a better vehicle. Family's growing, something a little bit bigger. No brainer for, for John, right? Toyota Land Cruiser. So, uh, you know, so I'm looking at like around, uh, we ended up getting a, well, first, husbands, have you ever had this thing with your wife where you, you, Tom talked last week, Pastor Tom, about making requests, how you have to have relational equity in the bank. Husbands, have you ever been there where you use up a lot of your relational equity on a particular request? This was the case because Mel kind of wanted a minivan. And day after day, I just kept telling her, you know, you don't want a minivan. You want the world's safest, strongest, most reliable vehicle. You know, a, a, a 12-year-old one with 120,000 miles is better than a new minivan. Trust me, okay? Well, she did trust me. She's this gracious, loving, submissive wife. She trusts me. She says, John, you know, okay, I'll go with you on this. So we get this 2001 Land Cruiser. It's like new and gorgeous to us. I mean, this is like a brand new vehicle for us. 120,000 miles, things just broken in, right? Mel's whole family knows how I feel about Land Cruisers and how I always brag on Land Cruisers. So we get this new to us Land Cruiser that has been well-maintained. And her parents are up here visiting. 
And we've got the kids, we've got everyone in the vehicle and we go out and we get back in the vehicle and I turn the key and it won't start. This is like an emotional crisis for me. This all happened a few months ago. It's, it's, I had to wait a while to tell you guys. And this went on for about two months, uh, well, maybe a month, sporadically. It, it would run perfectly, and then randomly it wouldn't start. No one knew what was going on. Our mechanic couldn't figure it out. I, I ended up going on this Land Cruiser forum online, because there are other guys like me in the world, just <laughs> other nerds, car nerds. And I find out on this year, there's a fuse in the fuse box that uh, after a while, the fuse itself looks fine, but it just gets a little corrosion on it. And if you pull out that 20-cent fuse and put in a new 20-cent fuse, problem solved. And, uh, b- but it was not easy getting there. And, you know, there's a verse in Psalms that says, don't, trust, don't put your trust in princes or politicians. Don't put your trust in chariots or horses. And I know now, God taught me, that also applies to land cruisers. Point being, we live in a world where everything breaks down. It doesn't matter how well built something is, uh, it, it's going to break down. It's, it's the nature of the fall. It's, it's the deterioration of this world. And then on top of that, as Christians, we also face a spiritual enemy. First Peter says that, that Satan, the devil, he prowls about like a roaring lion, seeking whom he may devour. Uh, the, the words Satan and devil, they mean divider, to destroy. Okay, so on top of us dealing with just the, the natural breakdown physically in our world, of our bodies, we're also dealing with spiritual breakdown from our enemy. This is why, of course, Jesus came to, to rebuild and to restore. Uh, I don't know if any of you have HGTV. If you do, I'm jealous because um, we don't. We just have we just have like four basic channels: CBS, NBC, ABC, and Fox, and PBS, and Netflix. And I I wish we had HGTV because I love these old these shows where they take an old house that was once glorious and now it's dilapidated and it's ruined, and they they remodel it. Isn't that so? cool. I just love that. I know I'll never have the time or the skills uh, to do that. And so I I love seeing it happen. And and that's really the heart of God for humanity, that we are a glorious ruin. We were made in God's image, but we're dilapidated by sin. Things have broken down. Things are falling apart. So we see this in our health. We see this in our relationships. Uh, We see this in our culture. I mean, look at the world. We have more than enough food for everyone. We have more than enough technology to provide clean water and food uh, for everyone in the world. But, but, but look what happens. I mean, people just fight with each other. This is a broken, broken world. Jesus came down into this world to begin the restoration process, the redemption, God calls it, of humanity, where sin, Romans 3.23 says, all of us have sinned and we fall short of the glory of God. Our sin separates us from God. Where sin separated us from God, Jesus came, died on the cross to, to make a restoration so that everyone who trusts in Jesus can be reconnected to God. And from God comes life. From God comes peace. 
From God comes uh, true contentment and joy. And from God comes eternal life. So that when we leave this broken, fallen world, we can live forever with God. So God's a great restorer. But sometimes we forget the world around us is broken down. And our own lives are broken down. We do need significant rebuilding. And significant rebuilding never happens alone And it never happens by accident. We've been seeing a picture of this in God's word in the book of Nehemiah. Last week, Tom taught us from chapter 2 about requesting, how to make a request to God or to others. I wonder in what area of your life today, right now, would you like to request God's help? Where are things a little broken down? Maybe it's your health. Maybe it's your finances. Maybe it's a relationship with a parent or a child or a spouse. Uh, maybe it's, it's your career where you want to come to God and request his help the way that Nehemiah did in chapter 2. Very often we have not because we ask not. Last week we saw how eager God is to help us rebuild. This week we see that when God answers our prayers to help us, there's still, God does the work, but we have to decide to make some sacrifices, to be part of a team, and we have to decide to be committed. Over and over in the book of Nehemiah, Nehemiah goes to God and says, will you give success to the hands of your servant? And God answers that prayer. But then Nehemiah doesn't just sit on a couch, right? God answers Nehemiah's prayer as Nehemiah joins God's work of rebuilding this wall. And it's the same way in our lives. You know, sometimes we ask God, God, will you fix my marriage? Will you fix my finances? And God's, and God essentially promises in his word, yes, he will help you if you're a follower of Christ. But then we sit on the couch and we wonder, man, why didn't God just make that happen? And the reality is God, he, he did his part. And he was just waiting for you to kind of step in to his power. He, he does want to help rebuild what's broken down in your life. Here's a few promises about that. Hebrews 4.16 tells you that you can come boldly before the throne of God. Not because of who you are, but because of who Christ is. If you've trusted in Christ, you can come boldly before the throne of God. James 5.16, the, uh, the, the prayer of a righteous person availeth much, I don't know what the newer translations say, is very effective. The, 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 the effectual fervent prayer of the righteous person, it, it, it gets results. John 14, 13, Jesus says, whatever you ask the Father in my name will be granted. So we have this great confidence. God wants to help us rebuild. God's on your team. God's for you. He loves you. He died for you. He's in the process of restoring you. And yet the same Bible that gives us those promises says things like, choose you this day whom you will serve. Jesus said things like, if anyone would come after me, if you really want to follow me, take up your cross and follow me. There's this element of your choice. God's waiting to finish the good work that he's started in your life. He's the one who does the good work. He's got all the power, but only you can make the choice. Am I gonna step into God's rebuilding in my life or am I gonna keep doing things my way or maybe try and rebuild on my own foundation? Our God is a God who specializes in bringing dead things to life and making all things New. Well, let's look here at Nehemiah chapter 3, and let's see how God helped his people 
more than 2,000 years ago, probably about 2,600 years ago, I think, to rebuild what was broken in their lives and in their community. Uh, in chapter 2, we saw Nehemiah request this great king, world leader, King Artaxerxes. Nehemiah asks him, uh, it, it, first Nehemiah prays, God, will you help this to go well? Then Nehemiah steps out and he asks the king, can I go rebuild the wall around Jerusalem? This is my homeland. This is where God's people are to be. And they're not there. They're scattered and the wall's broken down. God grants Nehemiah's request and King Artaxerxes sends him on his way. Chapter 2, verse 11 tells us that Nehemiah then assesses the situation. We've talked about this in some past weeks of this series. Have you assessed in your life where things are broken down? Nehemiah does a walk around of Jerusalem and he sees that this wall, which is supposed to be protecting the city, this is a wall that went physically all the way around the city. It, it would physically keep out enemies and marauders and people who would attack. This wall is broken down. And where there are gates, the gates are burned. In 2 verse, 17, 2 verse 17, Nehemiah talks to the Jewish officials there. And he talks them into working together to rebuild the wall. Nehemiah realized pretty early on, this is not a one-man job. And rebuilding in your life is not a one-man job. It's not the way God describes it. Jesus does the work, but, but he's going to do the work in you as you're part of his body. Well, in verse 18, those officials there, those Jewish officials, they agree to work together with God's help to rebuild these walls. In chapter 3, verse 1, we're going to see them kind of lift the first stone. We're going to see them get started. So let's read that in chapter 3, verse 1. We're told this. You guys have to promise not to make fun of me for all these names. And I'm going to do my best to pronounce them, okay? I did really well in Greek in seminary. But the Old Testament is Hebrew, and I took one semester of Hebrew, and I actually switched my concentration so that I wouldn't have to take more. It, my brain just doesn't do well with Hebrew. So please don't make fun of me, okay? Eliashib, the high priest, and his fellow priests went to work. Okay, that sounds really simple, but this is, this is the beginning. The whole wall, this is a huge project the whole wall's broken down. This is the start. They're, they're picking up the first stones, okay? They went to work and rebuilt the sheep gate. Okay, there's all these different doorways, these big gates that lead into the city. And, and a big, strong wall does you no good if your gates are just these big, gaping holes that anyone can come through, right? You need a sturdy gate there, okay? So they start with the sheep gate. They dedicated it and set its doors in place, building as far as the Tower of the Hundred, which they dedicated, and as far as the Tower of Hananel. Next, verse 2, the men of Jericho built the adjoining section, and Zachar, son of Imri, built next to them. Okay, now, if you have time this afternoon to read the rest of chapter 3, you're going to see it just goes on and on of people linking arms with each other. One group of people builds a section and, and then they get to the end of their section and another group of people starts building and another group of people starts building. What we see in Nehemiah chapter three is that in order to rebuild, we have to regroup. We have to regroup, we have to be part of a team. 
These, these leaders of Jerusalem at the time when Nehemiah came to them, imagine if they had said, well, Nehemiah, it's great that you want to rebuild the wall, but we'd like to work on the temple. And this group over here would like to work on their homes. And this group would like to work on our fields. How effective would it have been if they all scattered, went their own way to try and do their own thing? And sometimes when people come into a church body, they come in and they say, well, I want to do this. I want to do that. You know, sometimes that's the Holy Spirit working to fill a void, but other times it's chaos. And a good leader like Nehemiah is going to say, okay, here's what we're focusing on right now. Because if we all work together, we can actually make some progress here as a group, as a team, we can get things done that we could never do on our own. And if we're all just gathering once a week saying we're a team, but then we scatter out and we all just do our own thing, we're not going to get serious rebuilding done. You can't rebuild God's plan for your life without a team. Here's Nehemiah. He's called by God. He's blessed by God. He's a man of God. He's empowered by God. But he knows he cannot do it alone. In chapter 2, verses 17 and 18, he goes to these officials in Jerusalem because he knows this is a bigger project than any one person can do. And you know what? Following Christ, uh, on the one hand, it's supernaturally empowered. The Holy Spirit fills us and God does the work. But on the other hand, Jesus said, in this world, you will have trouble. Jesus said, if they hated me, they're going to hate you. He tells us in 1 Peter, this world's not our home. We're aliens and strangers in a foreign land. So on the other hand, it's hard to follow Jesus. And if you think that you can do it on your own without brothers and sisters, then maybe you need to read the New Testament a little bit more. Because it assumes, it's just a bedrock assumption that you are part of a body of believers who are following Jesus together. It assumes you can't do it on your own. It assumes that even with the Holy Spirit in you and God's word directing you, you need brothers and sisters around you at times to pick you up and carry you and at times for you to pick them up and carry them. So again, we see this teamwork, Nehemiah 3. Let's just look at verses 2 and 3 really quickly. I just want to drill this in our heads. The men of Jericho built the adjoining section and Zachar, son of Imri, built next to them. The fish gate was rebuilt by the sons of Hasana. They laid its beams and put its doors and bolts and bars in place. So this is all easy for us to read. But these were literal stones and bricks and mortar and gates. And one group, I mean, everything they had was to get their section done. That's all they had. And they were counting on the next group. Who was counting on the next group? And that's how we are as, as a body of Christ. I mean, the, the book of Psalms says, one generation declares to the next the glory of God. Uh, we're counting on the older generation. We're, we're counting on every generation in the church. You guys are counting on, on me. We're all counting on each other to follow Christ, to be true to his word, to do our part. We need each other. A few questions for you today. First, I wonder, do you realize that you cannot rebuild without the help of others. Now, obviously, it's God's help that you need. But, footnote on that, is it's God's plan to use his people to help you. Rebuilding doesn't happen without a team. 
I wonder what sort of team you have around you. There's a really common saying right now uh, among Christians in America that says, um, I, I, I don't really go to church because I am the church. Well, that's, that's, that, there's some truth in that, in the I am the church part. Romans chapter 12 says that we're a body. And we're all, it, it actually makes this metaphor of all these different body parts. At 1 Corinthians 12 talks about this too. There's an ear, there's a nose, there's a mouth. And, and you are the church. The church is not a building. But there's no such thing in the New Testament as a person being the church all by themselves. There's no such thing. In fact, if we're the body, it's the equivalent of finding a finger on the sidewalk all by itself. People say, I- I'm the church. I don't, I don't need any other believers. Okay. Well, that, that is like a finger all by itself. What good is a finger all by itself? I mean, it's, it's disgusting, right? It, it's not going to be healthy. It's not going to be very strong. And that's all, that's all I am. If I don't have a body of believers around me, I'm not going to be healthy. I'm not going to be strong. It doesn't matter how much knowledge I have in my head about the Bible. God's model, God's plan is for us to be a part of a body, to be a part of a team. I mean, we saw this with Jesus, right? He's got his 12 disciples. Even Jesus was a part of a team. And then the disciples go off and they go off in in teams, sends them out two by two. And then after Jesus leaves this earth and there's the apostles, the apostles start planting churches and they go in teams. Paul and Barnabas will go and, and they'll, they'll plant a church. They'll bring people to Christ and they'll train these people. You guys need each other. And it probably worked to the early church's advantage that they were meeting in homes. They, they didn't have this, this false dichotomy that the church is at a building. They knew when we gather in a living room, this is the church when we are together. What did Jesus say? When two or three are gathered in my name, there am I in their midst. So I wonder, do you have a team like that? Are you part of a group? Uh, Do do you have that here? You you do have that here. If you look around you, it is here. God's provided it for you. Uh, Is it something that that you're taking advantage of? And how about in your real life? 24 hours a day, the other six days a week, Monday through Saturday. Are you in a home group or, or, or maybe a men's group or a women's group where, where once a week you're getting together with other men or women or other couples or other people in your stage of life and you're able to say, here's what's going on in my life. And they're able to say, hey, we're with you. We're praying for you. Can we bring you some meals? Recently, there was a, a brother from our congregation who's going through some, some health issues. And, and his career, he's in a field where, uh, you know, they're all a, a brotherhood. Well, he's been going through these health problems. And you know what? The people from the brotherhood have not been showing up at his house. You know who has? His home group from Cornerstone. They've been bringing him meals. They've been hanging out with him. They've been taking care of his wife and kids and helping them out you have an incredible resource here. And God says, I want to help you rebuild in your life, but it's not going to happen on your own. I want you to be part of a team. All right, next question for you. Do you know that God is on your team to help you rebuild? 
Do you know that God is on your team to help you rebuild? We see this with Nehemiah that God does the work. God answers Nehemiah's requests. God provides favor and provision. And yet, you know, Nehemiah still has to put the bricks in place. But there's God every step of the way taking care of him, providing for him. You can be confident if you've placed your faith in Christ for the forgiveness of your sins. You can be confident that God is on your team helping you rebuild the things that are broken down in your life. Philippians 1 verse 6 says, being confident of this. This isn't something that, well, maybe this is true. You be confident of this. He who began a good work in you, that's your salvation. God drew you to salvation. He will carry it on to completion. He's going to finish it. After we trust in Christ for our salvation, he promises to continue the work of rebuilding us spiritually. Maybe, maybe God brought you here today because you just needed that. You need to know with everything that's against you, with the ways that you've tried to rebuild and it's fallen back down, you need to know today God is on your team if you've trusted in Christ. If you haven't, you can trust in Christ today. God's on your team. He, he wants to help you rebuild in your life. He's not against you. He's for you. And, and when you just line yourself up with him, he'll do the work in you. He's faithful to complete it. Uh, it's later in Philippians 2 verse 13 that it says, um, it is God who works in us to will and to do of his good pleasure. God has, he has good purposes, good plans for your life. And he's working in your life. And our decision as followers of Christ is just to say, okay, Jesus, I'll follow you into your plan for my life. I, I, Jesus, you know, my life was falling apart before you. Remember Jesus tells the story of um, two houses, one that's built on shifting sands and it falls apart when the storms of life come, and one that's built on the solid rock of Jesus Christ. Well, when you place your faith in Christ, you get that new foundation. Your life is now built on a solid rock. And your salvation in Christ, it's sealed in heaven because of what Jesus did, not because of anything you did. But now the question is, you've got this new foundation. What are you going to do with it? Hey, have you ever seen after the, the great financial recession, there were neighborhoods where there were these great foundations that were laid. And then you could tell that foundation got built right when the mortgage crisis happened. And it's just a foundation sitting there with weeds growing up around it. And that's where a lot of Christians' lives are. God gives you this new foundation what are, what are you going to do with it? Are you going to build your plans? Or are you going to follow God's blueprints, God's plan? And a key part of God's blueprint for you to build a new, coherent, structured life on this new foundation is to be part of the body. Hebrews 10.25 says, uh, Do not forsake the assembling of ourselves together as some are in the habit of doing. 2,000 years ago, before the United States of America, apparently, when the book of Hebrews were written, was written, there were people who said, yeah, I, I'm a Christian, but I don't really have to gather with other believers. It, it, and God said to them, and he says to us, don't forsake the assembling of yourselves together, even though other people are in the habit of doing that. 
Why? Because in the context, it says when we get together, we encourage each other. It says we spur each other on to love and good deeds. Do you know what a spur is? Horses don't love spurs. You know, we don't love being spurred on. Because if you're like me in your nature, you're lazy and self-serving, right? Aren't most of us? And God says, get together and not from your own feelings and emotions, but according to my word and led by my spirit, spur each other on. Encourage each other. Hey, you're doing it, brother. And when necessary, give a little kick in the ribs, a little gentle spurring. Hey, brother, you can do better than that in your marriage. I know you can. Come on, man. Let's, let's prioritize. But that's not going to happen if you're not in a home group or if you're not in a, actually one-on-one talking with other men or women in the body. So Hebrews 10.25, God says, you want to build on this new foundation you've got? I'll do the work, but it's up to you. Are you going to follow my blueprints or are you going to go with your own? So do you realize that you need a team? Do you realize that God's on your team? And then next, do you realize others also cannot rebuild without your help? For very many of us, we've had times in our lives where we were really broken down. And God helped us rebuild through his people, through a pastor on the radio, through a church, through a home group. God helped us rebuild. And now we're pretty comfortable. We're cruising along. Everything's fine in our life. And we forget there are others who need us to be part of the team for them. Do you realize that others cannot rebuild without you? In Ephesians 4, the Apostle Paul is talking about the gifts in the body. And in verse 12, uh, God says, These gifts are given, quote, so that the body of Christ may be built up. God has given you gifts. He's given you resources so that you can help build up his body. So that you can help others. Sometimes I meet folks who will essentially tell me, they won't say it this directly, but they'll essentially say, you know, I paid my time. When I was raising my kids, I was really active in a church and I served a lot and now I'm tired and I, I, I kind of I kinda came to Prescott to, to coast. And, and, that, and that's not just of any one age group. There, there's plenty of, uh, of folks, you know, of every generation who we just feel like, well, hey, you know, I've, I've done my work. There was a time when I was really part of what God was doing. Now I'm, I'm just going to kind of enjoy the benefits of what he's doing through everyone else. But I don't, I don't really want to get any dirt under my fingernails. And I don't want to, you know, I, I don't want to veer into to guilt or shame or legalism. We, we don't work to earn God's favor. And yet God's word is so clear. If you look at 1 Corinthians chapter 3, verses 11 through 15, it says, you have a new foundation in Christ. Now what you build on it is up to you. Your salvation? We're not talking about your salvation. It's sealed in Christ. But 1 Corinthians 3, 11 through 15 says, it's up to you. You decide, are you going to build on that foundation, wood, hay, and stubble? 
Things that after this life has passed, uh, when, when there's that, that judgment for believers, it's all just going to burn up. Yeah, and it actually says, you'll be saved as one escaping through the flames. You get into heaven still because of what Christ did, but there's nothing to show for your life. Scripture talks about that. Scripture talks about the opposite. It says another person decides to build gold, silver, and precious stones on the foundation. What's that? That's saying, God, I'm going to build your way on this new foundation. And that's what, that's what Scripture is talking about when it says, um, well done. Well done, good and faithful servant. Enter into the joy and rest of the Lord. So here's my question. I wonder, will your legacy be one of rebuilding or of comfortable complaining? Now, I'm not making this up. This is in the text. Look at these guys in verse 5. This is their legacy. Okay, more than 2,000 years later, we're talking about them. Of everything they did in their life, this is their legacy. Okay, the next section was repaired by the men of Tekoa, but their nobles would not put their shoulders to the work. For whatever reason, their nobles felt like, hey, we've already done enough in Jerusalem. We've already given enough. We've already helped enough other people. So good for all of you that you all want to get together and rebuild. Good for you that you've got vision for the next generation, but we've paid our time. They wouldn't put their shoulders to the work. Now, my, my guess is we'll see them in heaven. They're still God's people. My guess is that's probably not going to define them for eternity. Revelation says Jesus is going to wipe every tear from our eye. And yet we have these passages like 1 Corinthians 3. There, there will be a, an examination. What did we do with our foundation? I'm not going to try to unravel all that theologically for you. That's, that's just the word of God, okay? Let the Holy Spirit work it into your heart. So will it be said of me someday, you know, God was doing a mighty work in Prescott. Lives were changing. Young, young couples' marriages were being rebuilt, Folks whose children had wandered away were getting together and praying and they were seeing God at work in their children's life. God was, he, he was uniting churches. I mean, what God's doing in our area has really been unique these last few years. But, but will, will, will our legacy be God was doing this and all these people are rebuilding, uh, but, but there was this group, they wouldn't put their shoulders to the work. Well, we're not going to get to the second half of our message today. And I apologize for those of you that that bothers. But I can assure you all the points on your outline that have not been filled out will be filled out next week. So just just gather again with us next week. I didn't think I was going to get this much into this first half of it, but I did. So... You know, let's just close um, by examining our hearts. I'll ask you a few questions and we'll just go into a time of prayer. Are, are you part of the team? Are you part of what God is doing? If not, you know, you can, you can get in a home group. You can commit. I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to be regular. I'm going to be faithful. I'm going to be consistent. Do you know in the American church how many people go to church once or twice a month? I can tell you from our church, it's more than half of our people 
come once or twice a month or maybe three times a month. And then they wonder, why isn't my life really taking off? And if that's you, hey, I'm, I'm glad you're here, okay? But in love, can I tell you, do you really want to get some traction spiritually? Do you really want to see God rebuild in your life? Become part of the group. Become consistent. Get into a home group. Find some other men or women who you can talk to about what's actually going on in your life, and you can pray together. Are, are you part of the team? Next, do you know that God's on your team? Did you need that today? Philippians 1.6, he's doing the good work in you. He's for you, okay? Philippians 2.13, you can jot down as well. And then finally, have we forgotten that, you know, there's other people on the team who need us? Some of you are in here and you are completely equipped by God to lead a home group. But life's just been busy. Life's been crazy. Or you're here and God's completely equipped you to serve in children's ministry uh, or somewhere else that you know you have a gift for the body, but American life has just gotten busy. Hey, I, I can relate to that. I know if this wasn't my full-time job, I, I could very easily fall into that. I get busy doing whatever it is that I'm doing for a living. So, so this isn't about shame and guilt, but this is about, guys, look at the power that we have together when we do it God's way. The wall was rebuilt in Jerusalem because God's people followed God's plan which means working together. So uh, would you stand with me and let's pray that over ourselves, pray that into our hearts today. Father, I thank you for these men and these women, Lord. I thank you that you love us so very much. Jesus, we thank you for the cross, Lord, that before you we stand not on our righteousness, but on Christ's. And Jesus, thank you that we are, are washed as white as snow. Thank you, Father, that we are adopted into your family because we've trusted in Christ as our Savior. And Lord, this new foundation you've given us in our lives, we want to follow your blueprint in our homes, in our finances, in our marriages, in all of our relationships, in our studies, in our careers. We want to, Lord, we want to live your will for our lives. So would you help us this area of regrouping, being a team, being part of your body, not being a, a lopped off body part all on its own. Holy Spirit, would you, would you work in our hearts today to show those of us in here who need to be part of a home group or, or just be more consistent on Sundays? Would you do that work in us? And, and Lord, for those in here who need to be encouraged that you're on their team, you want to help them rebuild, would, would you... Would you speak that encouragement to them? Lord, others of us in here, we've been given gifts from you, not for ourselves, but to use for your body. So would you put it on the hearts of folks today to, to give financially or to be home group leaders or, or to serve in children's ministry or, or wherever else it is that you've gifted them? Lord, we are your people. We're your, your flock called by your name. You always talk about us in the plural. It's a given that we're together. So thank you that we got to be together today. Thank you for teaching us from your word. And this week, Lord, we're counting on you to complete the good work that you've started here today. We pray it in Jesus' name. Amen. Thank you for listening to the audio from Cornerstone Church in Prescott, Arizona. For more information, visit us online at www.prescottcornerstone.com.